This morning's reading is taken from Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 to 14, pages, page 938 in the Pew Bibles. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may have pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see it turn out to be little. What have you brought home? I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheaktiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared God. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message, to the, uh, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheaktiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. The second reading is taken from John chapter 6, verses 23 to 27 page 1056 in the Pew Bible. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of, God, of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. This is the word of the Lord.
during the summer months here at Knox, we are uh, preaching through the series of books in the Old Testament, tucked away at the very end, 12 small books called sometimes the Minor Prophets or sometimes called the Twelve. They are short, brief, prophetic books that pack quite a significant, powerful punch and message. And so each week we're just looking at one book. Last week uh, we had our friend Tim Tang preach on Noah, uh, Jonah, and prior to that, Pastor Nick preach on Micah. This morning we welcome Dr. John Kessler from Tyndale Seminary. He's a professor of Old Testament studies. He's the chair of biblical studies there, and he's going to preach on the book of Haggai. So John, welcome to Knox. Why don't you come forward and let me pray for you. Welcome to Knox, sir. Thank you very much. Good to have you. Great to be here. John actually was telling me before that he uh, attended Knox during his studies at University of Toronto uh, many years ago. When was that? Oh, going back to the 70s. Okay. <laughs> Way back. Well, it's good to have you back. Let's pray for John right now, shall we? Almighty God, thank you for so many gifts that you give to us. One of the good gifts is scholars like John, people who love you who follow Jesus and who invest their lives in uncovering the riches and, and unpacking the beauty of your word in scripture. And we thank you for his presence here today. And so we pray, pray that you would bless and anoint him with your Holy Spirit's power as he preaches and proclaims the good news of your kingdom in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back uh, here at Knox. Uh, I love the renovation you've done on the sanctuary. I was actually here during the time when you moved to uh, Convocation Hall and did the old renovation. So that's going a long way back. Loved the worship. It was wonderful to participate in worship with you. So it's great to be here. Also, I've kept up on Knox News in a certain way because I commute up to Tyndale uh, with my friend Kevin Livingston, who lives just a couple of blocks away. And so I get some news uh, of Knox, and I've had uh, the pleasure of meeting Phil Reinders uh, on a couple of occasions. So you have chosen for your summer studies the Minor Prophets of the Book of the Twelve. That is wonderful, because it's a great collection of texts with so many rich things in them and not sufficiently read or studied. Uh, do we have, yeah, we got the first slide up there. You've even got a stained glass window of Haggai up there. He's uh, second panel from the right, and he's, I believe, the one on the right. And that's got to be pretty much unique among the churches in Toronto. People say, who? Yeah, Haggai, Haggai, yeah, right. Uh, next slide, please. Today we're studying, then, the book of Haggai a book that is near and dear to my heart. The book of Haggai traces a journey, a journey from frustration to fulfillment, from the frustration of God's purposes to the fulfillment of God's purposes. It begins with complete deadlock between the Lord and his people and ends with a spectacular vision of the kingdom of God. I personally have had a long journey with Haggai myself. Got interested in this little book in my undergrad days, did my master's thesis and doctoral work on it, and beyond. 
uh, have, have uh, directed numerous studies to this book. And it gives me great pleasure today to lead you in a study of it, because it's such a rich book. And because I'm doing the whole book, and because I know the book really well, I can't enter into the fine points in detail. So you'll forgive me if I give you a kind of bird's eye view. Next slide, please. Haggai is a very unique book, not only because it's the second shortest book in the Hebrew Bible, but because it has an a unique structure to it, a series of prophetic oracles arranged to tell a story set in a specific historical context. Now, almost all of the Old Testament prophetic books contain oracles, thus saith the Lord. That we've heard, we know. <clears throat> a few prophetic books don't contain oracles, but tell a story, like the book of Jonah. But here we have the oracles of Haggai set forth in a narrative structure, and they tell a story. <clears throat> and central to that story is the historical context, beginning with the central focus on the Jerusalem temple. Now a little bit of background here. Jerusalem temple, God's dwelling place, built by Solomon in around 950 BCE, destroyed by the Babylonians in 587. Isaiah and Jeremiah had warned the people to amend their ways, to stop worshiping other gods, stop exploiting the poor and the needy. But those warnings went unheeded. And reluctantly, God allowed Jerusalem and its temple to be destroyed and a portion of the population to be scattered and deported, some to Babylon, some fled to Egypt, some fled to the surrounding areas, some stayed in the land and were put under heavy taxation. Many perished in the, progress, in the process. But most importantly, and most central to our study today is the fact that Judah, the kingdom of Judah, ceased to exist as an independent nation. There was no more Davidic ruler on the throne. Now you remember 2 Samuel 7, God had made a promise to David that a member of his family, one of his seed, would always rule on the throne in the kingdom of Israel. So what happens? No more kingdom, no more kingdom, no more king. Has God's promise simply failed? Next slide, please. Okay, you can see the little bit of the map. You see the Babylonians, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. It spreads west. Uh, Jerusalem is conquered. Then the Persians come, and that's where we're picking it up. The Persian Empire emerges, and King Cyrus of Persia, next slide please, um, changes policies, permits ruined temples to be destroyed. You couldn't just reconstruct a temple without uh, proper authorization. Permits deported populations to return to their homeland. And so this is where the story of Haggai 
begin. Some of the deported Judeans returned to the land from Babylon, rejoined those who remained. There was great optimism. The people were pumped. This is a new beginning. But the temple lay in ruins, and somehow the community was just not up for it, not willing to move forward with reconstruction. And in its most basic sense, the book describes how the Lord uses the prophet Haggai to resolve a completely blocked situation. I don't have this on, do I? Is that better? I forgot to turn it on. Is that better? Okay. Hear me better? Okay. Thank you. All right. Take two. So, in its most basic sense, this describes, the book describes how the Lord uses the prophet Haggai to unblock the blocked situation. So we have a movement from frustration of God's purposes to fulfillment of them. But the book can also speak to us as we seek to move beyond our frustrations and our roadblocks and our deadlocks into fulfillment. Do you ever feel frustrated, stuck, blocked, locked in? I do. Life is full of frustrations, isn't it? Great and small, small things. We experience unrelenting noise, traffic, computer glitches, cell phone problems. But the big ones, the greater situations that frustrate us, work problems, relational problems, health problems, uncertainty regarding what to do. And often we get discouraged and stuck and want to give up. Well, I think the good news is that we need not remain stuck where we are. We can move forward. We, too, can be on a journey, if we so choose. Next slide, please. So the book of Haggai, I believe, gives us four essential needs that we have as the people of God if we're going to be on this journey from frustration to fulfillment. Now, this is not about some kind of magic bullets that we can just punch in a code or just do X, Y, and Z and everything will be resolved. It doesn't work like that. Rather, what the book can do is help us cultivate key attitudes and expectations that will assist us and strengthen us as we face the roadblocks, setbacks, frustrations, that we will encounter in our lives. So let's look at these four essential needs. Next slide, please. Essential need number one. We need to hold fast to God's priorities and God's promise of acceptance. Now we've seen this in verse two. The people say it's not the time to rebuild. Haggai says in various ways, section between two, chapter one, verses two and 11, Uh, You've got plenty of time for your own houses. You've got plenty of time for your own things. Your priorities are wrong. Now, part of me feels really sorry for Haggai and for the book of Haggai. Because what always happens is this. The church gets into a building program and the money's not coming in. 
So minister says, okay, what can I preach on? Aha, Haggai. We bring him out and we batter people over the heads and say, look at this, the Lord's house is lying in ruins uh, and you're running off to your own houses, bad people. Well, I don't think that's quite it. I don't think that quite gets it. Because it misses really what is the central idea in chapter 1. And that comes in verse 8. Go up to the hills and and get wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be honored. See, this gives us a perspective and a promise. The perspective is the glory of God. See, Haggai's message is not just about a building and building a building. It's that the community understand its duty to glorify God and live to the glory of God. And somehow when we get into stress, when life gets frustrating and crazy and hard, the first thing that may suffer is our sense of priorities. And we lose sight of the importance of the glory of God in our experience individually and collectively. So Haggai encourages them to look at the glory of God and hold that in perspective, but then he offers them a promise It's different. The translation should be, it's different than the one uh, that was read so beautifully, actually, uh, for us. And you didn't even stumble over the names, which is great. The names in Haggai 1 are a little bit tough. But the idea that Haggai is saying is that if you put forth the effort, I promise to accept it, says the Lord. I promise. I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. God's not going to look down it and say, not good enough. Not good enough. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse, is it, than feeling like, whether it be in a relationship, in a job, anything like that, that no matter how hard we try, somebody's going to say, it's not good enough. Yeah, bad news. Total killer in terms of motivation and such a poor view of God. Rather, we should think of Jesus' words in Mark 14 to the woman with the alabaster jar of ointment. She did what she could. She did what she could. Haggai is all about reminding the people of God that even if their work isn't perfect, isn't magnificent, isn't all that it could be, it's still okay. That God will receive it as it is offered to him with a whole heart. And so Haggai reminds the people, remember your priorities and remember the God's promise, remember God's promise of acceptance. Essential need number two. Next slide, please. There we go. We need the Lord to stir up our hearts. Haggai has preached, so what will happen? Well, we know that in the Old Testament, often the words of the prophets went unheeded. As a matter of fact, probably the most repeated phrase in the book of Jeremiah in a certain sense, but the people would not obey 
the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. They wouldn't do it. And initially, it looks as if Haggai's words were going to fall to the ground. And yet, something happens. In verse 12, it says, the people obeyed the Lord. And it uses the exactly opposite way of formulating this to the refusal of the people so often repeated in the book of Jeremiah. They feared the Lord, and then in verse 14, here they come and they do the work of the Lord. How is it that things change? Well, here we see. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people, of the leaders, and gave them the courage and the motivation to get out and do what needed to be done. Sometimes we get trapped into patterns of thought or choices or behaviors that we can't seem to get out of. We just get stuck. And we go around and around and around, and we can't break free. Uh, one day, uh, Tyndale's old campus was up on Valley Connor. Some of you may have been up there. And there's a beautiful little stream that runs down behind it. And I went down there one summer's day. It was really hot, like it's been the past few days. And there's a beautiful stream that, that runs through. And there's a place where the stream kind of eddies and, and forms a kind of little mini uh, pool. And the current goes round and round. I remember watching this piece of driftwood uh, going around and around, and just when you thought it was going to flow along and go downstream, it would get sucked back in to the current and go around again, and again, and again, and again. And that's what sometimes happens. We get stuck, stuck, stuck. And we need the Lord to help us come unstuck. Now, stuckness can be due to a variety of causes. We could, we could be some physical issues, we just need a rest, or some psychological issues, or some spiritual issues. But speaking in a more general sense, sometimes we just lose heart, and we need the Lord to come and help us find that motivation and do what, humanly speaking, we cannot. And so we need to ask him. We need to pray. This isn't about being a motivational speaker to ourselves. It's, come on, get up there. Get up and do it. It's about saying, Lord, I need your help. I need you to come and touch me where I'm weary and dry and feeling really, really, really down and weak. I need you to come and help me and grant me the power that I need so as to go on in my journey. The Lord can minister through the word of God as he did here in Haggai, but also the Lord can minister to us through friends, through rest, through good food, through laughter, through prayer, through music, so many things that the Lord may do. But we need the Lord to strengthen and shake up our hearts. Essential need number three, Next slide, please. Thank you. We need a strategy to deal with discouragement. The people are pumped. They get back to work. Then they, a few weeks later, they look at what they're building, and they go, oh my, this really looks lame. 
I mean, this building is, Haggai doesn't even deny it. He brings the reality of what they're thinking right on, on the table. How many here saw the temple when it was glorious, when it was standing before? Hands go up, and he says, how does it look to you now? It looks like a zero, doesn't it? And they're like, yeah, it really does. It looks like we have really put forth all this effort for nothing. It looks like this has all been a waste of time. And this happens sometimes. And some of us just decide, eh, I'm going to pack it all in, and we ditch and we leave off. Others of us don't really want to do that. It would mean losing face, and so we kind of hang in there, but we go through the motions. Haggai has two words for us uh, as we face this strategy, uh, as we face this discouragement. First one is down the bottom. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up. See that? Take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua. Take courage, all you people of the land, for I am with you. This formula of encouragement comes many, many, many times in the Hebrew Bible. You may remember it from Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hang in there. Don't give up. Haggai also says, next slide, take the long view. He says in verse 9, the latter splendor of this house will be greater than its former. In other words, what's going to ultimately happen here, this house will be even better than the one which came before it. That the end of the, the journey will be better than its beginning. Take the long view. He promises them that God will ultimately take their efforts, even if they appear feeble, even if this is just a start, and ultimately make things into something incredibly greater and better. And again, nothing is more devastating to motivation than the idea that no matter how hard I try, nothing will change. Nothing will change. Now, we need to be careful. Now, Haggai is saying, keep on going, keep on working. We need to be careful because there are times when we need to realize that perhaps we have set unrealistic goals, that perhaps we are looking at things in the wrong way. Uh, perhaps we need to make a mid-course correction. What I'm talking about here, about not giving up and seeing the end, is what we could call big picture goals and commitments. The commitments of seeking God, of walking with God, of facing life's challenges with God's strength and with courage. And Haggai tells us that ultimately, Discouragement will come, but if we hang in there and if we take the long view, we can get past it. We can get past it. And then essential need number four. 
Next slide, please. Thank you so much. Look at this text. It's very, very interesting. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, horses and their riders shall fall. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this text is often cited as a prime example of unfulfilled prophecy in the Old Testament. After all, doesn't Haggai seem to say to Zerubbabel, the end, the shaking of the cosmos is coming very soon, and when it does, I'm going to take you and make you my signet ring. A signet ring is kind of like your ID or your visa card, and, and it, it would be God's most precious possession. And so I'm going to take you and make you like my most precious possession. But there was no shaking in the years following Haggai's words. Zerubbabel died and was buried. Life went on. So next, next one, please. But what's interesting is that Zerubbabel was of the seed of David. He wasn't a king, but he was a governor. He was a seed of David. And he was not ultimately the fulfillment. He was not the Messiah. But in Zerubbabel, Haggai is declaring that God's promise in 2 Samuel 7 to David and to his line is being renewed. See, if you read Jeremiah 22, verses 24 through 30, it looks like God is rejecting David and his line. And in Zerubbabel, God is saying, no, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. The promise seems to have been lost, but it really hasn't been. By this promise to Zerubbabel, God affirms that the promise to David continues on. Zerubbabel is thus a transitional figure, showing that the hope has not ended. And when Jesus comes along, there's a renewal of that hope and expectation. What does Bartimaeus say to Jesus? Jesus, son of David, have mercy. It's this ongoing hope in a Davidic ruler. When Jesus, in that passage we read from John, he says, the Son of Man will freely give you the living bread because on him God has set his seal. He's invoking the promise to Zerubbabel, renewing it, showing that he is the fulfillment of it. So for us, I think we need to remember that God's promises might be delayed, might seem to have failed, Perhaps we feel that way in our own lives, but they haven't really. They're still to come. And God may even provide way stations 
or foretaste, just like Zerubbabel was a way station or a foretaste on the way to ultimate fulfillment. But at the end of the day, the Lord's promises are certain and sure. Maybe not everything we may have hoped for, but the big picture issues. The Lord's unfailing love and forgiveness. Christ's promise to always be with us. Those things remain and will never be shaken. Next slide. So that's Haggai. So that's Haggai. I hope you have enjoyed his book in these few minutes as much as I have over the last, what, 30 years? Boy, there are many things we could have talked about that simply we have not had the time. But I hope that we can keep in mind these essential needs that we have if we're going to be on a journey from frustration to fulfillment. And as we ask the Lord to take our hand and show us when and where we need to remember these perspectives. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your blessing and your goodness and your love. And we thank you for your word which sustains and encourages us. And we thank you that your promises never fail. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.